to Cavancast. January's nearly done. January either goes as quickly as a weekend when you're having fun or as long as a Monday morning when you're back at school or work. There's no in-between with January. That sounds like I'm doing like a, welcome to my podcast, here's something relatable for you. But it's true, January is a weird month. It's it's a very weird month. And um, do you know what? I, for one, I'm glad it's over. (laughs) Who's with me? Am I right? Am I right? So uh, that's uh, that's what I have to say on the month. Hope you're well. Hope you're doing all right. Um, I'm back from Scotland. I have been recording lots of things, especially one particular thing that people have been requesting for a while, video reading-wise. So that's going to come soon. So look forward to that. A certain fantasy novel that people have been wanting. Um, I went to some really nice beaches. I went to uh, I went to Burnt Island, which I'd I'd been to before, but never really properly gone around. And uh, it was really good. I used to think it was called Burnt Island, but it's it's not. That was me being silly. Burnt Island. Been thinking about content, man. I've been really thinking about content and. Um, what to create because I just want to I want to start creating more stuff he says making two podcast episodes a week but you know why not more why not more because I enjoy doing this so I am dropping my ring all over the place um I'm going to be doing that so if you have any ideas or things you'd like me to do tweet me at Kevin Kingston anyway so, should we get on with the words? I think we should get on with the words. If you have never listened to an episode of Cavancast before, hiya, yeah. welcome, I'm Cavan. This is my podcast, and it is for the purposes of just chilling out for a bit. You know when you just kind of want to like talk about nothing, or literally say nothing, just to kind of exist? and say whatever comes to your mind. That's kind of what this is. I um, I use a random word generator to generate five random words, and then I just talk. And you can do whatever you want whilst I do that. It's easy, man. It's easy, breezy cover girl. And the first word is fossil. Speaking of beaches, I have been to the beach so many times and just, you know, looked around to see if I could find anything cool. And so many times I think I've found a fossil or something really old. Well, I mean, technically the whole beach is a fossil if you think about the grains of sand and the fact that they're made up of lots of animals. But you know what I mean? Like a cool fossil. Um... So many times I thought it's been there only to find out it's just a rock with scratches in it. That's it. Like, is it really too much to ask to make a huge scientific discovery? I don't think it is. I really don't think it is. I think I I think I'm entitled to it. I think I deserve that. You know, after partially listening in science in school. I liked Egypt. I really liked Egypt. I I really love studying studying that. I love the mummy movies. So let me find a fossil. Mm, actually, no, I'm going to reiterate a point I made in 
one of the bonus episodes where the word was archaeology. And I said that if we find things that have been clearly buried there on purpose, don't pick them up. Don't pick them up. Leave them be. Okay? Thanks. Like, accidental buriage, or if, you know, some dinosaur or human or whatever was, like, walking about one day and suddenly, for whatever reason, it's like... Dead, for whatever reason. I don't know what happened there. I don't know what that event was. Some sort of flying apparatus that hit someone in the head. The comet. That's that's the sound of the comet that killed all, all the dinosaurs. Then, like, you know, after that's happened and then it's been years of... Circle of life. Then, fine. If you get dug up after that, it's all well and good. But, if there's been a ceremony... There's been any kind of event to commemorate the death of that thing that is buried there. Ceremonever. That was a reach. Take that stuff out of its rightful place. Okay? Okay. I mean, like, the biggest, the biggest fossils found must have been dinosaur ones, right? Like the big dinosaurs in the Natural History Museum. Cool museum, by the way, if you ever go to London. It's a very good one. It's a very good one. Um, Rachel Elbaum. Elbaum? Rachel Elbaum uh, from NBC. She writes, London. What began with routine maintenance at a British nature reserve and reservoir has been hailed as a giant Jurassic mega find. Officials at Anglian Water and the Leicestershire and Rutland Wildlife Trust said Monday, I imagine that's a few Mondays ago, not like Monday just gone, that they had uncovered the skeleton of an extinct prehistoric reptile predator known colloquially as a sea dragon. <gasps> Badass. The largest and most complete ever discovered in the UK. The ichthyosaur. Ichthyosaur? No, oh, man. Ichthyosaur. I-C-H-T-H-Y-O-Saur. Ichthyosaur. Fossil. Measures over 32 feet in length and has a six-foot skull. Not a six-foot tail. A six-foot skull weighing around one ton. It lived about 180 million years ago, during the Jurassic period, when dinosaurs walked on land. Okay, you remember that thing I said earlier about the... That being the comet? Don't think that would have taken out this, this guy in the slightest. It's the most complete and larger than any dinosaur skeleton ever found here. So it's a mega find for so many reasons. So Some guy was just trying to clean... Can you imagine if he just couldn't be bothered with the paperwork and just, oh, uh, this is a big dinosaur. Um, oh, I can't be bothered. I have, oh man, I've got, I've got so many things to watch at home that I've been looking forward to. Oh, I have to take the rubbish out. I have to take the dog for a walk. I'm just going to go with it. You know what? Someone else can find it. Someone else can find it. I wonder if that thought would go through my head.
No, it wouldn't. <laughs> Check out my dragon, guys. It's not your dragon. Yes, it is. Finders keepers. It's my dragon. Uh, yeah, it's a mega find for so many reasons, said paleontologist Dean Lomax, who led the excavation. During this time period, it would have been right at the top of the food chain. It's an ultimate apex predator, perhaps one of the biggest animals in the sea worldwide. Great. As if I needed another reason to be afraid of the big bad deep ocean. Also, I, I also love the concept that what we think these prehistoric animals look like based on their skeletons is actually nothing like what they actually look like. For example, if you look at the skeleton of a rabbit, like a cute little bunny rabbit, it looks more like the shape of a velociraptor. Or something like that. Wait, am I thinking of the right thing? The dinosaur. The little... Yeah, Velociraptor. The really quick, like... The mini T-Rex types. You know? What's the one that flies? Pterodactyl. Just took a second for my... um The, the Power Rangers file in my head to, to kick in. Yeah, and I saw I saw one that was... It was a it was a skull shaped like a human skull but had like extra layers of teeth that made it look like something out of a horror movie. It's just a child. It's just a child's skull because the adult teeth are above the baby teeth. What happens to every but when you look at it with all the other teeth in there it's like yeah, it looks like it's a demon thing. Maybe we are. Maybe we are all demon things, really. Can you imagine that? Like a million years down the line, like if aliens come down and, and discover it, it's like, it's like beep or beep, which is alien speak for, dude, what the hell was this? Maybe we should have left this exactly where it was, you know, like exactly what we do when we bring up mummies. Anyway. Ah. <sighs> Or an elephant, which is the next word, by the way. If you look at the skull of an elephant, it looks like this crazy cyclops, cyclops looking thing. And it you know, looks nothing like the beautifully majestic creature. I get really happy any time I get to talk about animals in this podcast. Big time. I really do. So elephants, bruh. Elephants never forget. Sounds like a threat, doesn't it? <laughs> doesn't that sound like a threat? <laughs> like it's supposed to be like a nice thing of like, oh, they have such good memories. Yeah, they know what you did. <laughs> like you remember the old school um, slasher movie, I Know What You Did Last Summer. Yeah, it's based on a true story. But in the real story, the actual killer was an elephant. Guys, what was that? And then just in the distance, you just hear I can't do a quiet elephant sound. That's my elephant sound, quietly. Sometimes my brain doesn't help me at all with this podcast. Sometimes it's great, offers up wonderful little nuggets. Other times, no. Let's let's make it so you have to make an, an elephant sound in a chilled, relaxing podcast. Sweet. Um... Dumbo also comes to mind quite quickly. Or Tantor, 
from Tarzan or Tori Kelly from Sing because <laughs> she's the elephant that's like overly slaying happy birthday to her granddad <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that because Tori Kelly's amazing and then um, yeah her character is the elephant in Sing the film where her whole family's like happy birthday to you happy birthday to you and then she comes in like happy birthday dear. like <laughs> well overdoing it and I'm like a fair play but also if you were in her family it'd be like oh. again again we haven't forgotten every year that you've done this elephants are obviously very large animals aren't they African elephants are the biggest land mammals on earth. Did you know this? But just how big are they? This depends on which species of elephant we're talking about. Asian elephants are generally smaller than their African counterparts, weighing in between 2,250 and 5,000 kilograms. African elephants are the largest species of elephant, weighing an average of 5,443 kilograms. Damn. Uh, the largest African elephants can reach the huge weight of 7,000 kilos. And you can tell the difference by their ears. I remember learning that fact when I was at school and I really liked it. There are two species of elephant, African and Asian. The ears of African elephants are much larger than their cousins and are described as being shaped like the African continent, whereas the ears of Asian elephants are shaped like the Indian subcontinent. That's so cool. There's also a trunk difference. Oh. African elephants have two fingers, two like fingers, oh, like, like, Oh, yeah, like little, um, well, fingers, I guess. Uh, they have two fingers at the tip of their trunks, whereas Asian elephants have one. Although African elephants are the largest land mammals on Earth, they are not the largest mammal of the natural world. If we were to take a dip under the sea, just a quick little dip in there, uh, we will find... The blue whale, which can reach up to 30 meters in length from head to tail and weigh in excess of 181,000 kilograms. This huge animal is the largest of its kind. Good. Good. I'm very glad it is. Until friggin' icky dinosaur comes up. You know, with its six foot head. Males only reach their full size at 35 to 40 years. That's well over half their lifespan as wild elephants can live for up to 60 to 70 years. And that's not just the adults. Even calves are huge. At birth, elephants can weigh 120 kilograms. That's almost 19 stone. Elephants have around 150,000 muscle units in their trunk. Their trunks are perhaps the most sensitive organ found in any mammal. They haven't seen my heart. <sighs> move past that one. Asian elephants have been seen to pick up a peanut 
shell it, blow the shell out and then eat the nut. God damn. They are smart as hell, dude. Elephants use their trunks to suck up water to drink. It can contain up to eight liters of water. Um, they also use their trunks as a snorkel when swimming. I've seen that. Yeah. They communicate through vibrations. Yo, me too, bro. Nice. I totally pick up on vibes. Elephants communicate in a variety of ways, including sounds like trumpet calls. Some sounds are too low for people to hear. Uh, body language, touch and scent. They can also communicate through seismic signals, sounds that create vibrations in the ground. That bass, uh, which they may detect through their bones. They're incredibly smart, aren't they? Incredibly smart animals. Um, not one for really preaching opinions, but riding them. If you ever go traveling or anything, I would recommend taking that off your list. If you had it on there, it's just not really good. Like, the way they're treated and the effect it has on them. Just nah, bro. Even if it's like, oh no, this company's good, it's like, probably isn't. Um, leave the elephants to do their flying, okay? That's what elephants do, right? Yeah. Cool. Just do that. <laughs> um, on a lighter note, literally, that's the word. Note. Cannot get a more obvious on the nose segue than that um la there you go that is a note you know, maybe I should make it more um la better okay cool I spent so long when I was younger trying to draw the uh the treble clef musical note sign I mean I, I had no idea what it was called at that point I just thought it was the squig the squiggle at the beginning the little swirly dude. Uh, yeah, treble clef. And then there's the bass clef that looks like the, the Deku symbol uh, from Zelda. There we go. Getting the Zelda reference in there early this time. Yeah, I, I spent ages trying to do the... get the squiggle thing right. That and the S. You know the S with like six lines and then you, you join it up? I was a pro at that. Not gonna lie. Not gonna lie. Um, in music, a note is a symbol denoting a musical sound. In English usage, a note is also the sound itself. Notes can represent the pitch and duration of a sound in musical notation. A note can also represent a pitch class. Notes are the building blocks of much written music. Discri what is that word? Discretizations? Discretizations? What does discretizations mean? Google. Discretizations. The act of making mathematically discrete. Like hiding it? Like what is... Is it just like transferring it into, into data, basically? 
In applied mathematics, discretization is the process of transferring continuous functions, models, variables, and equations into discrete counterparts. I'm just going to say that's what it is. Yeah, it's, it's taking like la and going, here's a little symbol for la. Okay, yes. Discretization is a musical phenomena that facilitate discretizations of musical phenomena that facilitate performance, comprehension, and analysis. Thank you for sticking with me through that. If you're still here, I like you. Um, the term note can be used in both generic and specific senses, uh, like this podcast. Uh, one might say either the piece, happy birthday to you. Oh, wow. Second time that's popped up in this podcast is it your birthday if so happy birthday to you that's all you're getting um the piece happy birthday to you begins with two notes having the same pitch or the piece begins with two repetitions of the same note la 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 i should be teaching music what am i doing making podcasts um uh, in the former case, one uses note to refer to a specific musical event. In the latter, one uses the term to refer to a class of events sharing the same pitch. Two notes with fundamental frequencies in a ratio equal to any integer power oh my God, of two, e.g. half, twice or four times, are perceived as very similar. Because of that, all notes with these kinds of relations can be grouped under the same pitch class. Got it. Letter names are modified by the accidentals. So that's sharps and flats. The sharp sign, hashtag, raises a note by a semitone. So we've got, and then a semitone would be, so jaws, um, and a flat lowers it by the same amount. In modern tuning, a half step has a frequency ratio of, what is that? 12 to the square root of 2, whatever. Approximately 1.0595. <laughs> sure. The accidentals are written after the note name. So, for example, F hashtag represents F sharp. <laughs> oh, God. <clears throat> F sharp represents F sharp. I was trying to like get it across to you guys. Please don't ever say F hashtag. Uh, B flat is B flat. See, this doesn't work when I'm reading it to you. Google it if you care. Um, but let's get away from music. What else about notes? Notes. The notebook. The notebook. Ah, uh, notebooks though. Um, are you like me? And do you have a load of notebooks you've collected over the years but have never used? Definitely, definitely same. I have so many that either have nothing in them at all and are still in their friggin' plastic or just the first page where I, have, I was like, oh, I have this idea and I, I grabbed the nearest notebook to me. Why do I do it? Why do I buy these notebooks? Now I've just learned my lesson and keep everything in my head. That's the way to do it, right? That's a foolproof method. No, that's a foolproof method. That's a foolproof method. 
oh my god, that's a foolproof method. Try saying that five times fast. Foolproof method, foolproof method, foolproof... Anyway, I can't feel my feet. Um, I have like one beaten up old notebook that I use for lyrics and like ideas and stuff because I like the vibe of it. And it, I don't know, it accommodates what I need well. Actually, I do have another one I use for van stuff, but that's about it. Because I actually take measurements and stuff like a normal person now when I'm building stuff instead of like, yeah, that'll, that looks like it'll fit. Oh, people say notes about smells, right? Like, ooh, it has, this has like a, a peppery note, right? Fragrance notes, mm-hmm. And you have like different notes, different like, like top notes and bottom notes and blah, 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 blah. Okay, uh, fragrance, fragrance notes are essentially the different scent layers that make up the final fragrance. These scents are split into three distinct elements. Top notes, heart notes, ooh, and bass notes. Then we go bottom notes. From I Love Cosmetics, together, the top, heart, and bass notes work together to create a beautiful fragrance. Without the combination of all three, a fragrance just wouldn't be appealing. Top notes represent the first impression. They may not be the longest-lasting element of a fragrance, but they're the first thing you'll smell when trying a new fragrance. Top notes represent the initial sense that lure you in, lure you in, causing you to make your first impression of the fragrance. As their name suggests, heart notes lie in the heart of the fragrance, otherwise known as the middle notes. This scent layer is the foundation of any fragrance and is known to make up approximately 40 to 80% of the final fragrance. The heart notes start to make an appearance just before the top notes fade away and will strongly influence the base notes to come. Heart notes aren't to be taken lightly. Oh no. Finally, the base notes will start to shine through once the top notes have completely evaporated. Alone, the base notes make up 10 to 25% of the final fragrance. However, the base notes also blend with the heart notes to deepen the complexity of the fragrance. Where the top notes make the initial impression, the base notes are associated with the dry down period of the fragrance, and so base notes will create the final lasting impression. Base notes are often rich and smooth, as well as being the longest lasting of the three notes. Common base notes include cedarwood, sandalwood, vanilla, patchouli, and musk. I really like patchouli. It's a really nice smell. There you go. Well, there I go, actually. I am now educated. Hope you are too. Now, when I'm smelling a smell with my smell bits... Uh, I'm actually going to know what I'm talking about. Kind of. Sort of. Maybe. <laughs> you know, I'm going to try. How do you smell, though? What are your smelly bits? I'll tell you what your smelly bits are, apart from your nose. You inhale. And how do you inhale? You use your lungs. That was a good segue. Number four. Word number four of today. Are you ready for this? you ready for this? Amazing fact, you have two lungs. <laughs> Did you know that? Now you do. And I need to, oh my God, I can't feel. 
I have two lungs, but only one leg right now. Can't feel a thing. Oh, that really... Um, I need to stop doing that. I can't feel a thing. I was going to try and read while the nerve endings are firing with the blood going back into my leg, but I'm not going to, because... Uh, yeah. Uh, lungs. Lungs help you breathe. Breathing keeps you alive, which often is seen as a good thing. Uh, when you breathe in, the lungs inflate with air. When you breathe out or exhale with like a ooh sound, that's an exhale, the lungs deflate. All right, let's get some proper facts. The lungs are the only organ that can float on water. Each of your lungs contains about 300 million balloon-like structures called alveoli. Alveoli? Alveoli. Which replace the carbon dioxide waste in your blood with oxygen. When these structures are filled with air, the lungs become the only organs in the human body that can float. I mean, that kind of makes sense. Maybe about cheeks. Your left and right lungs aren't exactly the same. The lung on the left side of your body is divided into two lobes, while the lung on your right side of your body is divided into three. The left lung is also slightly smaller, allowing room for your heart. Ah, it's very kind of them. Can you live without one lung? That's a badly worded phrase. I, I, you can live with one lung. You can't live without one lung. <laughs> you need at least one. Um, it limits your physical, uh, physical ability, but it doesn't stop you from living a relatively normal life. Many people around the world live with just one lung. I didn't know this. I thought you could, you could live with one kidney, uh, but I didn't think... I didn't know that you could only live with, with one lung. Hmm. Uh, people who have a large lung capacity can send oxygen around their body faster. Can you imagine if that was how we got attracted to people? Like, we, we evolved. <laughs> Evolutionary attraction tactics based on how big your lungs were. <laughs> Damn, girl, you got some big-ass lungs. Mm, let me see them breathe. Ooh, that's what I'm talking about. Damn. <laughs> you can increase your lung capacity with regular exercise. That's, that's a pretty obvious one. Uh, an average person... Well, an average person breathes in around 11,000 litres of air every day. And the study of lung diseases is known as pulmonology. Chest, mo oh. hmm. chest movement during breathing isn't the result of air movement. When you breathe in, our chest swells. <laughs> when you breathe in, our chest swells. 
that's what it says. When you breathe out, our chest collapses. We are all one. We are all connected. This is what this is saying. But these chest movements are not actually the result of air filling up or exiting the lungs. During inhalation, the diaphragm, uh, a thin sheet of dome-shaped muscle that separates the chest and abdominal cavities, contracts and moves down. That's what happens when you get hiccups, your diaphragm spelling. Um, it's going, <laughs> um, increasing, it contracts and moves down, increasing the space in the chest cavity. At the same time, the muscles between the ribs contract to pull the cage, the rib cage, upward and outward. During exhalation, the exact opposite happens. Wait, let me just breathe for a second. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. That's why you can breathe from your belly. Like when you're... They always say, like, oh, belly breathing helps with anxiety and stuff like that. If you didn't know that, belly breathing helps with anxiety. Um, look it up. Cool. Um, I'm going to leave that one there because I want to spend the rest of the episode talking about something, about well, someone um, that meant a lot to me. Uh, more than I actually, more than I actually realised. Uh, so you may have heard recently that the rock god known as Meatloaf passed away. Uh, and when I heard about it, the the news really hit me. And I don't think I ever actually thought about how much he's influenced my taste. I guess. So I spoke about this on last week's bonus episode, uh, but it was part of a different word, and I wanted to give the powerhouse that is Meatloaf his own word on the podcast, just as like a little tribute, I guess. Um, so you know that they say a lot of your taste is formed when you're a kid, right? Like a kid kid. So when I was six, uh, my mum got me into The Clash. They were the first proper band I listened to and, you know, I would be jumping around the living room every night rocking out to The Clash. What I often forgot is that not long after that, she introduced me to Meatloaf. Uh, and before I carry on, uh, I'll give you a little Meatloaf bio for anyone who may not know of him. Michael Lee Aday, known professionally as Meatloaf, was an American singer and actor. He was noted for his powerful, wide-ranging voice and theatrical live shows. He is on the list of best-selling musical artists. His Bat Out of Hell trilogy, Bat Out of Hell, Bat Out of Hell 2, Back Into Hell, and Bat Out of Hell 3, The Monster Is Loose, has sold more than 65 million albums worldwide. The first album stayed on the charts for over nine years and still sells an estimated 200,000 copies annually and is on the list of best-selling albums. Uh, he was also in Rocky Horror, uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, and Fight Club, and many other films. Tenacious D, he was in Tenacious D, The Pick of Destiny, which I watched again recently. Great. But yeah, that, that's the meatloaf overview. But, but like I say, the effect he had on people went so much deeper. My mum had the Bat Out of Hell album, the first one. And for a like, six or seven year old kid, 
to listen to this extraordinary musical roller coaster of, of rock and theater and storytelling. Thinking about it now, like those things are my are my lifeblood. They're they're such intrinsic parts of me and my personality. Which I know it doesn't seem like because here I am talking at minus twenty decibels. <laughs> but um in terms of my expression and love for for storytelling in general and, and through music. I think it was him, dude. I think there was a, there was a big part of it to like to to lay the seeds of that, and you know, even for people who who didn't go down the musical route that I did, but listened to him, his his albums and songs take you on incredible journeys. And, and most of Meatloaf's songs were were written by the amazing Jim Steinman, and. Like I said in the bonus episode, when you get a synergy of something like the songs that Jim wrote and the unstoppable powerhouse of a force that was Meatloaf, in my opinion, that that's magic. That's what magic is. Um, just pure, beautiful harmony. Um... And I'm incredibly grateful that I was introduced to him at, at such a young age. And and the Battle of Hell musical is uh, is also incredibly fun and powerful. So I highly recommend that. But um, yeah, I just wanted to talk about that. I wanted to end it with that and uh, talk about the effect that he had on me and so many other people. And that he's left behind an amazing legacy. And with that, I hope I've left you feeling a a bit more chilled than you were when you started. Uh, I mentioned bonus episodes, and if you want a bonus episode a week, you can find them on my Patreon, uh, or Patreon. I know it sounds like a Pokemon, but uh, yeah, if you don't know what Patreon is, it's a site where you can subscribe for extra content at different tiers, uh, but at every tier, no matter what you subscribe to, you will get a bonus episode a week. That's the base. And you can find that at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Cavan Kingston. And all my socials are that as well, at Cavan Kingston. So I'll leave that to you. And I will speak to you soon. Take care. Bye.